worship is used. Today I want to take a look at us worshiping. Now, it has to do with our first vision statement, and I'll get to that in just a moment. But our text for today is in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It's a pretty familiar verse to a lot of people, but I'm going to read it to you. Now, I'm actually going to read it in two different uh, versions of the Bible. So the New Living Translation says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be living and a holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is the true way to worship him. So our vision statement that we're going to talk about today is discover God through worship. I'm starting your notes now, if you're following along with your notes. The NIV says it like this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So... First fill in the blank, allow your behaviors to flow from your beliefs. You know, whenever you see the word therefore, okay, the scripture, it says, therefore, I urge you. Whenever you see the word therefore, you should ask yourself the question, what is it therefore? When we come to chapter 12 of Romans, Paul is making a shift Okay, he's making a shift from doctrine to duty, from creed to conduct, from principles to practice, from beliefs to behavior. I mean, you've heard people say, well, it really doesn't matter what I believe. Well, it does matter what we believe because our belief is what makes us behave the way we behave. Paul follows a similar pattern in Galatians and Ephesians and Colossians when he establishes doctrine first as part of the letter, just like he does in Romans, and then moves to application in the second part. You know, theology is, was never meant to be cold and lifeless. It must always have a practical application to it. It says, it's as if Paul is saying, based on everything I just said, this is what you need to put into practice. So, what did he say? Let's go back a few verses in chapter 11, starting with verse 33. It says, oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible is it for us to understand his decisions and his ways? For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give uh, him advice? And who has given him so much that he needs to pay it back? For everything comes from him and exists by his power and his extended, intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. It's as if Paul is doing all this the theological stuff, all this doctrinal stuff in the first part of, of Romans, 
And then at the end of chapter 11, it's, it's like he's just bursting into adoration of, of God's profound wisdom. And after spending so much time discussing doctrine, he's overcome by the depth of God's glory. And it's in this context that we read chapter 12, verse 1. Let me just read the last verse of uh, 11 again. For everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. And then the very next verse, chapter 12, verse 1, he says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and uh, holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is the way to worship him. So the NIV, or I'm sorry, the New Living Translation says, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you. The NIV says, I urge you, brothers and sisters. So point number two is answer God's urgent appeal. Based on all God has done, Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters. This means to, to call one side in order to persuade someone to do something. Even Paul could have used the command here. He could have said, I command you. He had that kind of authority. But instead, he makes an appeal from love, not from law. He does a similar thing in, in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. I don't command you. I urge you to do this. So in, in Romans, he, notice he refers to them as brothers and sisters, indicating his affection for them as, as being members of God's family. You know, this, this term is a, uh, it's a term of warmth. The, the brothers and sisters, it literally means from one womb. He, he's begging his brothers and sisters. He's not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to church people. He's talking to people that have been born of the Spirit. He's, he's saying that he wants them to do something that has never been done before. He's saying it's a decision that each disciple needs to make. And yet it seems as if Paul is leaving it up to all of us individually. I urge you, brothers and sisters, I, I really would like for you to make this decision, is what he's saying. Let's go to point number three. So I urge you, brothers and sisters, why? Because of all he has done for you. The NIV says, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy, be motivated by God's mercy. Maybe you don't actually get the full grasp of what God's mercy is. You see, the, in fact, the original word here that we say mercy actually is plural. It refers to God's multitude of mercies. Yeah, the, the New Living Translation says, because of all he has done. Not just one thing, everything he has done. How many of you like to watch a parade? 
I mean, we, we, we sit along the street, you know, and downtown, you know, and we watch the parade go by. We like to see the marching bands and, and we like to see the floats that they, they have and, and everything else that they, they throw into the, to the parade there. Imagine, if you will, that God has a parade and he's putting it on for, for you and me. And as we, we sit and watch there's a parade of mercies that goes by, but not just for a few minutes, but for hours and days and years and decades and centuries into all eternity. Close your eyes just now and, and, and thank God for the mercies he has put in display in your life. You know, Mark Patterson, he, he says it this way. He says, the prerequisite to worship is mercy. And he says, the prerequisite to mercy is doing something wrong. And then he goes on to say, so if you've done something wrong, you qualify for mercy. And if you qualify for mercy, you qualify for worship. Now listen to this. Don't let what's wrong with you keep you from worshiping what's right with God. Man, that's powerful. That's powerful. God is not just merciful once, but again and again. He's consistently and constantly full of mercy. God has demonstrated so much mercy to us that we can't help but, help but respond by fully surrendering our lives to him. You know, many of us get this wrong. I mean, we think we have to sacrifice or we have to perform to get God's mercy. And we've got it backwards. God gives a multitude of mercies apart from anything that we do. He's a merciful God. This should cause us to surrender everything we are and sacrifice everything we have. It's interesting that Paul doesn't say in the light of God's grace, but instead he focuses on God's mercy. Why is that? Well, let me tell you the difference. God's grace is demonstrated when we get what we don't deserve. Whereas his mercy is what keeps us from getting what we do deserve. Point number four. The NIV says, give your bodies to God. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. The NIV says, Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. So point number four is offer your body on God's altar. You know, we're, we're urged in view of many mercies of God to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. You know, this, this word offer or give is a term that was used when bringing and presenting an animal for sacrifice on the altar. And it means to present once and for all. The owner would, would lay hands on the beast to, sim, to symbolically say, this animal takes my place. The animal was then killed 
and the blood was sprinkled on the altar. The idea of a living sacrifice must have been a very novel idea back in Paul's day. Because they were used to bringing dead sacrifices. Once a sacrifice was offered to God, you couldn't take it back. Think about this. A guy couldn't bring a lamb and say, I'm going to sacrifice the lamb. And then say, uh, but don't be too hard on it because I want to bring it back the next time. No, it was a once and for all. It was a done deal. We are called to present our bodies to the Lord. We are exhorted to offer our total being to him. There is no such thing as a partial sacrifice. We've got to decide, am I going to give myself as a living sacrifice to God? It's either all or none. Paul continues by saying that our life offering is to be holy and pleasing to God. Sacrifices were to be without blemish and without defect. Hey, don't look at your life and say, well, I can't sacrifice myself, man. I got a lot of blemishes. I got a lot of defects. Uh-uh. No. No, no. You see, we are to give God our very best. And when we give our best to him, it will be pleasing or agreeable to him. Let me point out, we're already pleasing to God. Why? Because Jesus died in our place. And we have been declared righteous and holy without blemish, without spot, without defect. You are right now. If Christ is your savior, you are before God. Perfect in his eyes. But you've got to make the decision now. Are you going to be that living sacrifice? Pleasing and acceptable to God. So now we're, we're getting close to where the rubber meets the road here. Okay. Our vision statement is discover God through worship. The question we need to ask ourselves is, is my worship both in this room and outside of this building pleasing to God? Our purpose is always to please God, not ourselves. It's to please God. Here's what the Amplified Bible says. It says, make a decisive dedication of your bodies. This dedication should be both a duty and a delight. Why? Because worship is a verb. Worship is an action. Adoration must lead to action. This is some of us, something that some of us, we, we just haven't got to yet. I want to give you an opportunity to do that in a few minutes, okay? But first of all, let's take a look at the last point. He says to give our bodies as a, um, a living sacrifice. It says living, holy, and acceptable. This is truly the way to worship God. So live a lifestyle of service worship. You know, we're, we're so accustomed to uh, equating worship with something that happens in this room on a Sunday morning. 
I mean, we call this our worship service. You know, the phrase is not even in the Bible. In fact, there's nowhere in the New Testament where we are commanded to go to worship. Actually, for many, we equate worship with the singing we do together for what, 20, 30 minutes each week? Let, let me give you a visual demonstration of how inadequate this understanding of worship is. There are 168 hours in a week, okay? Seven times 24, 168 hours. So I measured from that wall to that wall, okay? I already knew how big it was, but I just wanted to make sure. I divided it by 168. So each section would be an hour. If we keep our worship to one hour a week for God, this is how much we worship God. You can get 168 of those across here. Do you think God would be really happy with this much of your life worshiping him from Sunday to Sunday? No, I don't think so. But that's where it falls in. You see, if we just have 75 minutes together on Sundays, we should make it the best it can be, correct? So what each of us needs to do is get ourselves ready for this short period of time we have for corporate praise and worship. I love what Louis Gigolo says. Louis Gigolo says, most of my life, I thought that you went to church to worship. He says, but now I see the better approach is to go worshiping to church. While our time together on Sundays is extremely important. And we're told to gather together. We're told to gather together to, to encourage one another and to learn and to grow in the Lord. And, and singing and worshiping is part of that. But I want to suggest that God is less concerned with how this service goes and more concerned with our service, with how uh, our service of worship, how it goes outside of these walls. Hey, we had great worship this morning. I loved it. You know, worship the Lord and sing and, 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 and give praise to him. It was wonderful. And, and we need to continue to do that on a regular basis. And, and you know, when, when we first wrote these vision statements, there was a group of us together and, and discover God through worship. And, and I'm not sure exactly what the thought was behind that. Were, were we saying that when we, we, we wanted this to be a, 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 a life a life thing, you know, but was our thinking that when we leave this place, we ought to have a song on our heart and we need to be worshiping God in our minds all the time. I'm not sure what we were thinking, but that's not what the scripture is saying to us. The scripture is saying to us that we worship him by keeping him on the forefront of our minds all the time. Hey, I have a song in my heart quite, quite a lot during the day. I'm, I'm singing to myself quite a lot during the day. And then, and, and that's good stuff. 
But what is our spiritual act of worship? What the scripture says. It's, is it worship service or service worship? Worship is not what we do here on Sunday mornings. True worship is the presenting of our bodies as living sacrifices to him. Living holy and pleasing lives to him every day of our lives. Worship has got to be more than what comes out of our mouths. We gather together on Sunday mornings and then we scatter the rest of the week to worship him wherever he has placed us. I mean, we could call this everywhere worship or worship as a way of life. Let me say it this way. We're not designed to operate to worship the Lord just one hour a week but rather to run on a 24-7 worship lifestyle. Instead of just, just thinking worship service, it needs to be service worship. Since God's desire is to make us in the image of Jesus, you know, his servant son, it makes sense for us to serve like he served. Looking for needs, serving in secret, giving anonymously, just to name a few. You know, in the Old Testament, believers made a sacrifice that was slaughtered. In the New Testament, believers are to become the sacrifice that is allowed to live. So, let's take time this morning to discover God through worship. We want to close today with uh, what we can call God's altar call. It's, it's really what Romans 12.1 is all about. It's a, it's a personal time for us to present our bodies as sacrifices to God. It, th this literally says, you, all of you. I'm not talking about you, all of you. Maybe you ought to be saying this to yourself. Me. All of me needs to present myself to God. This is what God wants from every one of us. Well, let me just read this verse again, this time with the Message Bible. This is, this is wonderful. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life you're sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. God doesn't want you to lie on the altar as a dead sacrifice, but rather to live out your life selflessly for Him, living as a living sacrifice. He's urging us right now to surrender first and then worship here together. And then when we are dispersed into our separate ways, go out there with an acceptable lifestyle through serving.